0: Thank you very much. Thank you for this invitation to be here. It's so wonderful, and particularly to be part of a missions conference, because God's heart is for mission. And as we've heard, so many wonderful things going on, so many things you're involved in. It is truly encouraging, wonderful. And I enjoyed the music, the praise and worship tonight. And I was thinking how, when we were worshipping God The name of Jesus is above every name. And whatever problem you may have, it has a name. Whatever situation you're facing has a name. But there's a name above every name. And that is the name of Jesus who conquered death. But we're here tonight not for ourselves, but for the world. We're here for those who aren't here. And that is... Such a blessing to be here. I want to pick up on some scripture that was read yesterday morning by Pastor Lee, because in a sense it summarizes what Margaret and I do in Nepal. And I think you'll remember this if you were here yesterday morning. Matthew 9, verse 35, it says this, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. And he went on to speak about the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But those three words, teaching, preaching, and healing, really summarize what we seek to do in uh, Nepal. And uh, If there's time, I'm going to get Margaret to come up and and share her perspective on it, which will be very exciting. But the problem I have here is knowing how much to leave out and and how much to put in. But I want to... We do have some uh, pictures, some slides uh, on the PowerPoint, uh, if I can avoid... I think last time I pressed the wrong button. The one we use goes up and down, but this is sideways, I will remember that. But uh, there's, the first one is a map of uh, Nepal. In case uh, you don't know where, Nepal is only a tiny country, population 30 million, sandwiched between two enormous countries, China and India. China has a population of, I think, 1.2 billion. India is not far off. And Nepal, a population of 30 million, uh, is sandwiched between uh, those two countries. And for many uh, years, Nepal was a closed country, meaning that missionaries could not go in. No missionaries were able to go in until about the 1960s. And so in the 1960s, the number of born-again believers there was simply a handful when the first missionaries went in, and they came from India. They were Nepali speaking Indian Christians who, who once uh, the doors were open went there and began to spread the gospel. And the first believers, Nepali believers, were persecuted very, very much. And I'm going to race through some of these slides because uh, there's a lot of them, just about 300, no, about 20 of them, I think. And, but it gives you a, a, an idea of what the, the country is like. These figures are probably a bit out of date now, but it tells you there the, the life expectancy uh, is about 60 years, about 80% Hindu, and about 10% Buddhist. And then we have some figures for a uh, number of people who can read and write, a lot less uh, women than men. But to pick up on that point, 8% Hindu. If you know something about Hinduism, I think you may relate to this, it has a, a caste system. And you are in the caste that you're born into. There's no way... Out of that in Hinduism, you can be uh, in the lowest of the low. You may have heard of the Dalits, that they are considered the lowest. They're considered to be like animals. And I'm I'm told, I've been told by a friend of ours in India who came from that caste, but is now born again believer, that that even if he was dying of thirst, that that a high caste person would not give him a drink of water because of... Is caste and it does tend to be governed a bit by color. The lowest castes are darker, the highest castes are lighter. So there's this discrimination built into this uh, religion. Hinduism also involves a lot of idol worship, just as you read in Deuteronomy and Exodus and the Old Testament about the worship of idols. So you see it in Hinduism, also involves. Uh, witch doctors and animal sacrifices. They they sacrifice animals to to appease the god, for, uh, because they're so, so afraid. How do you get about in India on the trunk roads? That was a joke, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen had a trunk. <clears throat> the young lady uh, on the left there. Was rescued from uh, the slave trade uh, that they, uh, girls, young girls can be taken Nepal and taken into the sex trafficking trade. This young girl was rescued by uh, our pastor friend there, Minraj. He actually became a Christian uh, about 30 years ago. He was a high caste Hindu. And Christians today in Nepal are coming from not just the low caste, but from all the castes, which is the most wonderful thing. And he came to the Lord by some missionaries who went to take water to his village. They also distributed Bibles. At the time, he was disillusioned with Hinduism. He read the New Testament and met some other Christians and, and gave his life to Christ. And, and now uh, he's mightily used by God. I'm just going to race through some of these. It gives you some sort of idea of what the country's like. Do you know in uh, India and Nepal, in Hinduism, cows are just allowed to ro- roam the streets and you can find them everywhere. That beautiful lady there is my wife. You may recognize her. The country is beautiful. Uh, they are hippopotamuses, I think, uh, river horses. Can you see on the far mountain at the back there something I don't think you get much of here? Snow. Who's seen snow? Before we left Wales, about two weeks before, we had snow. And uh, I love the snow. It's wonderful. Flowers are beautiful, rivers. It's a landlocked country. Remember the Bible talks about don't be unequally yoked. Well, here you get two uh, uh, oxen yoked together. People travel on the top of buses, health and safety doesn't exist. Nepal is one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, Most people survive by uh, growing things on their land. And just to let you know, this is the kind of uh, country that Nepal is. Uh, People wash out in uh, the open many times, wash their clothes, and the women seem to work much harder than the men in in practical chores very often. The roads can often get washed away in in the rainy season. Uh, Traveling can be quite a challenge. Uh, We had a flat tire there. Rains come down, and uh, that tells you something that is very interesting. 1959, 29 Christians in Nepal, 2007, around half a million. 2017, approximately one and a half million out of a population of, of nearly 30 million. So that is a very significant rate of growth, a very significant increase. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's been happening there. In our experience, there are two things that Nepalis, who mainly come from a Hindu culture, understand as far as communicating the gospel with them. One of them is blood sacrifice. So when you preach about the cross and that Jesus shed his blood once and for all to pay the price for our sins, it registers with them. Because in their culture, They are sacrificing chickens and other kinds of things to appease the gods, and they never know whether they're forgiven or not. They never know, uh, and they they live uh, in much fear. And the other thing they understand is spiritual power, because in Hinduism, there's a lot of demonic activity because they worship idols, uh, and we've seen... Uh, We know we're in a spiritual warfare, but in a country like Nepal, you you see it very obviously, and, and particularly when you preach the gospel in that way. So, as I mentioned, the main thrust of our ministry has been those three things that we read about in Matthew. Teaching, we teach, we seek to fulfill the Great Commission, to teach the new believers, and to preach the gospel to those who have not yet heard it, and also to heal the sick. We, we believe when Hebrews thirteen eight says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We tell them that. And, you know, if, if you speak to a Muslim and, and you tell them, well, the Bible says this, or a Hindu, you say, the Bible says this, well, they can bring out their book. And they say, well, our book says this. And so they need to see some evidence that what we say is the truth. And the Bible talks about, uh, in, in Mark uh, 16, about the Word of God being confirmed by signs. And those that have... You, you can check on the internet and look, about, look up concerning research. People have carried out about why there's so much growth of the church in Nepal. And one of the reasons they give is the number of miracle healings that occur. And so I'm going to share some of these with you. And as I do that, I want you to know that we're not, I'm not saying this to boast about anything because as one lady came to our church says, we have nothing to boast about. I have nothing to boast about. But if God uses us... It is purely by His grace. And one thing I noticed with that lady, Carol, who's, who's 81 and she's still going strong. Throughout her Christian experience, she kept saying yes. Every opportunity, she said yes. Making teas, she said yes. Making coffees, she, she said yes. Because she wanted to do God's will. And as we are willing to, to obey God in the little things, he, he gives us more things to do. So... As you saw in in these figures, uh, 29 Christians in Nepal in 1959, I think they've lost count. They don't actually make a big thing of of counting the numbers because they feel it will stir up uh, trouble amongst Hindu extremists if they actually know how many people are are becoming Christians. But to give you an idea, the pastor whose face we saw earlier, Pastor Minraj, when Margaret and I first met him. He was at Bible College in England and he invited me out to Nepal. He had a church of around 30 people in Kathmandu and half of those were children that he and his wife were looking after. And since then, they built a children's home because in Nepal, there's a lot of, uh, because of the poverty, a lot of children uh, whose parents simply um, cannot afford to to keep them. There's a lot of orphan children. And today, 25 years later, he, they have planted um, over 150 churches wow. throughout the country, and, which is quite amazing, isn't it? And each church that they plant has a vision to plant more churches. So they look around in the areas which are unreached and they target them. And sometimes they've they've been out and shown the Jesus video. And they'll hire a generator and a screen. And of course, in, in a country like that, the whole village will come because they've never seen a film before. And they'll be in tears watching it. And then they'll give an invitation for people to give their lives to Jesus. And there have been times when a whole village has given their life to the Lord. And so uh, the the growth is amazing. About one and a half million uh, believers out of 30 million, they don't seem to have denominations as such as we do, which is really refreshing because in heaven, there's going to be no denominations, are there? that's going to be born-again believers. And they have some denominations, but they don't make a big thing of it. So we seek to fulfill the Great Commission. Do you remember Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I have taught you. And sometimes I believe we we forget that. Maybe I, I can read that to you because I believe it's so powerful. Matthew 28 and verse 19. This is really the theme of this conference, isn't it? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So if you imagine, when you read the Gospels, think of everything Jesus taught the disciples. He then said to them, before he ascended to heaven, now you go, everything I've taught you, you go and teach them. Paul said the same to Timothy. Everything I've taught you, find faithful men, teach them. And that's what we call discipleship, isn't it? And... I I want to put it to you that one of the things Jesus taught them to do was to heal the sick. Every time, when you read the Gospels, he sent them out. Every time he told them to heal the sick. Today many Christians have the view, well, we can't heal the sick, and and that's true. But God can, and he lives in us, and I, I know people have questions about this. but. I feel in in many ways like uh, the apostles who said, well, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And I want to share with you one or two uh, incidents that have happened. One time, I think it was about 15 years ago, Margaret was with, with me, and we were at this time not able to do open meetings because... Uh, The political situation was so unstable, there was civil war. There were Maoists trying to overthrow the government and the king, and we've driven down roads when we've had guns pointed at us. We've landed in a situation when the whole of Kathmandu was surrounded by uh, the army, and the Maoists were marching on to Kathmandu. Our plane landed in that, and other planes landed full of trekkers, turned back and went back home. Hours they let us get off, and we walked down empty streets, which is amazing. Normally, they're full of cars going in all directions, but this time, we were because we were considered tourists, we were allowed to go freely. But one time, uh, when Margaret and I were there, we were down in the south of the country, and they had uh, a building that perhaps was a quarter of the size of this packed with about 300 people. It was supposed to be a leaders' conference, but once people heard it was a, something going on, all the village would want to come and, and they would crowd in. And one time I was speaking to the people about Peter and John uh, on the way to the temple and how they found this lame man, and, and he was asking for money. And remember the story, Peter says, well, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I told them that. And I I told them that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that he who did things in the Bible is alive today. He's able to do that today. They believed it. And our normal practice is having presented the gospel to people uh, but also to invite people who are sick and, and need prayer, to invite them to uh, respond. And we would pray for them en masse, and we did that. And they had brought in this uh, young man, who we found out later was about 26, on a stretcher that was consisted of two bamboo poles with string across and they put him on a table at the back, and we prayed for everyone on mass—a a prayer for that God will heal the sick people. And as the the meeting came, it was a three day conference, and as the meeting was coming to a close, we—I uh, I was a bit concerned because I had told the people that Jesus heals sick people today, and they brought this paralyzed man. And he was waving to us at at the end, and I didn't really know what was wrong with him, but we were told that that he was paralyzed, and he'd been paralyzed for two years, uh, right up to his neck. He hadn't even uh, been able to sit up, but he actually waved to us, but I didn't realize he couldn't do that before. And so as we went, we encouraged him to come back the next day, and we went back to our Place where we were staying, a small hotel. And I felt uh, concerned uh, and questioning my own heart really. Have I got the faith to believe for this man? And anyway, I cast it all on the Lord, went to sleep. We woke up next morning, and Margaret and I, we read through the Bible every year certain passages for each day. We read. Uh, each year. I opened the Bible up for the next morning, and it was a verse in Jeremiah, and the second verse I read, it said this, is anything too hard for the Lord? And once I saw that, I knew God had given me faith to believe for that man. And so we went back to the conference the next day, and sure enough, that man had come back again. And So in the time of of worship, we went up to him and said, we believe God's healing you. Let's see if you can get up and walk. And so, because Peter and John didn't just say to the man, rise up and walk. They actually pulled him up. Now, with someone like this young man, you have to know what you're doing because you could kill him if you didn't uh, do it right, if you didn't know what you're doing. So we encouraged him to stand up He was very thin. The day before, he looked like he wasn't far from dying. And we said, see if you can walk. And and we held him one on each side. And then he took some paces forward. Then we let go. And he carried on walking. And people started crying. And uh, it was just like Jesus was there in, in the meeting. And in Nepal, if... The husband, he had a, a wife and he had a little girl. In Nepal, if the husband doesn't work, they don't have any income. So I suggested, well, let's take an offering for him. And they found this plastic carrier bag, passed it around, and we filled it with rupees and gave it to him and his wife. And then everyone started crying again. We discovered he was a Hindu. He wasn't a Christian. And uh, at, well, at least before when he came, he, he was when he left. Now, 15 years later, he's pastoring a church in, in Nepal. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Another time, a Hindu priest had a back problem, and we prayed for him, and he was healed. And so afterwards all the people that would go to him, he took them to church. <laughs> and again, I have nothing to boast about, but in the recent years, at three-day outreaches, there have been over 1,000 people come to the Lord, but not just that. They would estimate there was about a 1,000 in the meetings, but then I would get an email uh, a few weeks later, and they would say, 1,200 and something have joined the churches because they take their families. In Britain, you may have 20 people respond and it's hard to get any of them to go to church. In Nepal, it's the opposite. People respond in the meeting, take their families, and then they would get them baptized. They would be taught in the churches. Baptism is emphasized. We teach them to emphasize that uh, very much because that cuts them off from Hinduism. Baptism by immersion. They go down in the water and the old Hindu person dies. They come up a born-again believer. There was another time that Margaret was not with me. I had another friend, uh, pastor friend with me and he was ill and I had to take the whole day's services. So I prayed beforehand and I said, Lord, would you give me some Information, I'd really like to pray for these people. And I had this strong sense as I prayed that there was a couple there who wanted to have a baby but couldn't. So I announced this to the people. I said, I believe this, uh, a couple here, well, I didn't say I believe, I said, is there, just in case I hadn't got it right. Is, is there a couple here who, who really long to have a, a baby but, but it's just not been happening? And, of course, that can be quite embarrassing, can't it, for people to admit that. And so nobody responded immediately. But then, after a few seconds, everyone started pointing at this couple. (laughs) So we invited them to come forward. We laid hands on them, prayed for them. They would have a baby. Well, of course, nothing happened that day. (laughs) But... A year later, Margaret came with me. We went back. And no one had told me anything in between. And as we arrived, uh, Pastor Minrai says, Oh, I want to introduce you to someone. And he introduced us to this couple who were holding a three-month-old baby. And believe it or not, they called him Philip. (laughs) But as I say, this is nothing, I feel so privileged to have been part of this. Now we do these open um, air meetings, and there can be, you know, two or three thousand people come. And we will preach the gospel, we will tell them about repentance and what it means to be a Christian, that Jesus died once and for all. Then we will tell them that Jesus also heals the sick. And invite them, and there'll be so many that are sick. There's so much sickness there. And in in Nepal, there's really no, unless you have money, you have to have money to go to a doctor. So a lot of them just don't have the money to pay for medical treatment. So they're desperate. If God doesn't heal them, many of them will die. And so we pray for them en masse, and then we say to them, See if you can do something you couldn't do before. For example, if you couldn't move your arm, see if you can move it. And then we say to them, if you know something has changed in your body, that you can actually say, well, I had this pain and and, and it's gone, or I couldn't do this, then would you please come forward and, and tell us? And there will be a queue of people wanting to testify about what God has done. And you say, well, does everyone get healed? No, not, not everyone gets healed there and then. I don't know why some do uh, and, and some don't. Maybe some do later on. But what I do know is that even if there's only a few receive their healing, the kingdom of God, like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you. And as I mentioned, people that have carried out research say that these healings that people see is one of the major reasons why people are turning to the Lord in in Nepal. And another reason, I believe, is because the Christians are, in the main, a good testimony. And it's like when you go there, people, the Hindu people, you can talk to them in the shops or in the hotel, and it's like everybody knows a Christian. And they're asking you questions. And some of them are really saying, how can I become one? And so it is so easy to share the gospel. In Britain, it's, it's like you've got to sort of force the gospel on people almost. But when people are asking questions, that is the best way to witness, isn't it? When they see something that is causing them to be attracted to Jesus, they see the Christians looking after Orphan children, that they see Christians getting healed, looking after each other. And, and to them, compared with Hinduism, it is light and darkness. It is such good news. And uh, there's so much we could say, but we've got involved in, you can imagine, so many people coming to the Lord, they need Bibles. And uh, we, we try to supply them with Bibles, they cost about, uh, probably here, about four or five dollars each. And... Now the Nepali Christians are going into Tibet to take Bibles. The country, China, part of China, taking Bibles there. We also help, um, as I mentioned, we helped in the the earthquake. People um, gave us about thirty-five thousand dollars. To the international aid went to rebuild Hindu temples, but Christians didn't get any, as far as we knew. So. Many Christians contacted us and said, we'd like to give something, and so we were able to send about $30,000 there to help uh, earthquake. They, they were sleeping out in the open in tents, so it provided food, provided blankets, and, and all that kind of thing. I wonder if, um, can I give Margaret five minutes? That would be, be good. <laughs> Because Margaret has a, uh, will have a different perspective on it, but she will also confirm w- what we've seen. And uh, I'm so glad she's been able to come with me these many times. <laughs>
1: well, hallelujah. It's lovely to be with you all, and thank you for inviting us. And, um, yeah, when I married Philip... <laughs> Of course, I didn't fully know what I was letting myself in for.
0: 43 years ago.
1: Yes, and we're still together, by the grace of God. Hallelujah. But, um, you know, he's always been up for an adventure. And Richard will confirm that, you know, if there's anywhere to go. I say he's never happier than when he's going somewhere. <laughs> okay. So, but um, for myself, no, that is not my personality or temperament. <clears throat> you know, I rather prefer it secure and quiet life but having said that you know I wouldn't have missed what we've seen and done uh, for anything by the grace of God and it's you know very much in my case by the grace of God because you know I get nervous and things you know for me it's not yeah let's go on another adventure it's oh let's get ready for this kind of thing but but it is so precious you know and to see I mean, you know, we pastor a small church in Wales, and really preaching the gospel is a bit like pulling teeth, you know? And you go out there and you see the hunger and you see the harvest, and it's just, wow, you know, thank God we are seeing some people saved and and lives being so transformed and such amazing things happening. So I just um, share um, a couple of stories with you. One was. Um, This particular time, the king um, of Nepal, he'd uh, got rid of all the government, and uh, the situation was very unstable, and the Maoists were trying to take the opportunity to move in. And um, so um, the army were trying to hold the situation. And on that occasion, we'd taken a couple of friends with us. Um, the, The husband was rather... A fragile Christian, shall we say. His wife is more sort of up for anything. And um, so there we were in this situation. Actually, as Philip mentioned earlier, you know, when uh, there were, the streets were deserted, the local people were not allowed to be walking the streets of Kathmandu. It was like curfew. But as tourists, we could. So we did a lot of walking to meetings and things. But um, so it was a time or when we were traveling and we saw... Uh, young men, you know, dressed as bandits with uh, um, masks on and pointing rifles, you know, which was a bit uh, scary. But the the, the occasion happened, we'd we'd been to a meeting and we were walking back through the town, Philip and myself and this couple, and the army were on the street (laughs) with tanks, just sort of for security. But in fact, they are gentle people. The Nepalis are sweet, gentle people. You know, they don't like killing, you know. They're not always up for a fight. And um, so we're walking along. Now, the Nepali word for thank you is danibad, you see. So it's a very easy one to learn. And um, the husband of, of my friend that we were with, he was getting a little nervous. And we're walking along the street, and he saw the soldiers... In a tank. And so, what he decided to do was to sort of, um, you know, appease them. So, he pulled a white handkerchief out of his pocket and waved it at them, <laughs> intending to say Danny bad, which is thank you. Unfortunately, he made a mistake and he said, Taliban, <laughs> Taliban. <laughs> at which his wife said, No, no, stop it, stop it. <laughs> so yeah so that was uh, something to remember um, uh, yeah other than that um, what else to say I don't know Philip said so much um, but yes um, we did a journey once that the monsoon had washed away masses of the road and um, and the road down to the south of Nepal it's a place called Chituan um, goes along the side. There's a river and a deep ravine. And this was one of our earlier trips, and we were in this sort of old car, Audi car, banging along, you know, and um, the traffic sort of struggling to get along this broken road. And you look down the side of the ravine, and you see the vehicles that have gone over. And, you know, as Philip showed on the buses with people sitting on the top, you know, they're not supposed to do that. But you know, some buses over as well, and um, so you learn to trust God, and um, and prove Him. You know, to prove God is is wonderful, um, to see what He'll do. And um, one thing I'd like also to mention is how God's been so faithful to us in it all. Now, with our uh, small church in Wales, we had a, a building fund because we were renting. Buildings and um, can be a bit of a nuisance, you know, moving your stuff here and there. And so we were saving up to try and get a building. And um, Pastor Minraj was building his children's home, and we just felt that the Lord laid on our hearts that what we'd got we should give them. You know, it wasn't enough for us to to do anything with anyway. So we gave the building fund for the children's home, and then amazingly. Uh, miraculously, we were given uh, a building to use, and we didn't have to pay for it, and we didn't have to pay rent on it. We just look after it. Um, you know, it's, it's that is a very long story again, but how faithful God was there, and He's always provided for us so wonderfully. Um, so. That's enough, really, isn't it? We don't want to go on all night. So thank you for listening, yes. and God bless yeah.
2: Yeah. Wonderful. I, want to, I want to pray for both of you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you so much for uh, your honesty and uh, your availability to the Lord. Um, it's truly inspiring and challenging to me and I think to everyone here tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that your word and your gospel in particular is your power unto salvation for all who will believe. And Lord, tonight we rejoice with the angels in glory at a local church, a national church rather, that has grown from 29 believers to over 1.5 million believers. And Lord, we know that you are still saving Napoli's people and building the church there. And Lord, it is our longing and it is our prayer and faith that there would be a massive turning to the cross of Calvary and the Savior who died there by the people of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Lord, that there would be a an understanding of the difference between naming oneself as a Christian and repenting of sin and trusting Jesus alone and being born again. Lord, as we hear this story, which we, we know uh, has many more details that could not be shared tonight, we pray that it would call us to believing in you for great things, and to saying yes to you at every turn of the way. Lord, you're such a gracious Savior that you knock at our hearts' doors uh, seeking fellowship, that you would sup with us and we with you. And we know, Lord, that that involves us as believers saying yes to you. Maybe in the smallest of things, say yes. Yes. Maybe in a more challenging thing, say yes. Maybe in an astronomically risky thing, say yes. Lord, we realize that you are Lord. We've sung it. We believe it. Lord, help us to live under your Lordship. Help us to believe that We ought not to say Lord and no at the same time. That to call you Lord is to say yes to you. Lord, I pray that you would move in my heart and in the hearts of your people here tonight that we would understand what your will is for us increment by increment. And may we say yes to you, Lord, in each baby step in each step and each stride of the way we ask you lord god to continue to use the evans we ask you to bless the church they pastor in wales may that assembly not grow weary in well-doing knowing that they will reap if they sow and faint not encourage them lord where the soil, the heart soil of the Great Britain persons are, is generally hard. Encourage them not to give up sharing their gospel, your gospel, and may you grow their assembly by conversion growth in Wales. Lord, as this choice couple is ready to travel where you would take them, to Nepal or to other places, keep them safe. Protect them and give them that great joy of walking with you and speaking for you and living for you. Lord, bless and keep the Evans, and thank you so much for bringing them to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank, you.
0: thank you. Can I say just one thing? Certainly. Th- just one thing. One of the most amazing things is to look at a group of people worshipping God and to think, a year ago, two years ago, they were Hindus worshipping idols. And it, it, it's the grace and of, the of God. It is the yeah. Yeah. grace of yeah. God. Yes.
2: Yes. That's the word. Let's thank our friends. <laughs>